0: And so, Scotland prepares to go beyond level zero next week, as pubs and clubs reopen. 500 days since it all began in Scotland, First Minister Nicola Sturgeon is removing almost all of the coronavirus restrictions. The big day is Monday, the 9th of August. That much sought-after moment when we emerge from the tunnel of terror that has encased us since the 23rd of March 2020, has arrived. But be steady as you go, for this is not a declaration of freedom or of victory over COVID. Parliament has been recalled for the second time this summer. Our coverage begins with words from First Minister Nicola Sturgeon.
1: City officer, it is the combination of the steady decline in cases, the success of vaccination, helping to weaken the link between cases and serious illness. And, of course, our understanding of the social, health and economic harms that continued restrictions cause, all underpinned by our obligation to ensure that any restrictions that remain in place are lawful, in other words, that they are both necessary and proportionate, that forms the basis for our decision today to move beyond level zero. The move beyond level zero will entail the lifting of most of the remaining legally imposed restrictions, most notably on physical distancing and limits to the size of social gatherings. It also means that from 9 August, no venues will be legally required to close. This change is significant and it is hard-earned. The sacrifices everyone has made over the past year and a half can never be overstated. However, while this move will restore a substantial degree of normality, it is important to be clear that it does not signal the end of the pandemic or a return to life exactly as we knew it before COVID struck. Declaring freedom from or victory over this virus is, in my view, premature. The harm the virus can do, including through the impact of long COVID, should not be underestimated, and its ability to mutate may yet pose us real challenges. So, even as we make this move, uh, care and caution will still be required, which is why I now want to focus on the protections and guidance that will remain in place after August 9th. Firstly, it will continue to be the law subject to existing exemptions that face coverings must be worn in all the same indoor settings as is the case now. We will keep this under review, but my expectation is that face coverings are likely to be mandated in law for some time to come. Second, Test and Protect will continue to contact trace positive cases. To assist with this, there will be an ongoing requirement for indoor hospitality and similar venues to collect the contact details of customers. And While, as I will set out shortly, there will be a change in the approach to self-isolation for close contacts of positive cases, anyone who is required to self-isolate will, if eligible, continue to have access to support. Thirdly, we will continue to work closely with local incident management teams on appropriate outbreak control measures, including the use of localised restrictions in future, if necessary. We will also continue to use travel restrictions as and when necessary to restrict the spread of outbreaks and protect against the risk of importation of new variants. Fourthly, we will continue to advise home working where possible for now. I know most businesses are not planning a wholesale return to the office but recognise that a return for some staff will be beneficial to them and to employers. But it is vital that this gradual approach continues. We will also encourage employers to consider for the longer term, as indeed the Scottish Government is doing, a hybrid model of home and office working, which may, of course, have benefits beyond the need to control a virus. Fifth, while we expect to see the careful return of large-scale events, we will, for a limited period, keep in place the processes through which organizers of outdoor events of more than 5000 and indoor events of more than 2000 will have to apply for permission and this is allowing us and local authorities simply to be assured of the arrangements in place uh, to reduce the risk of large scale gatherings and last but by no means least we will continue to issue clear guidance to assist individuals and businesses to reduce the risk of transmission as much as possible. Rigorous hygiene, including regular hand washing, will continue to be essential. Good ventilation will also be important. I will set out shortly our intention to strengthen guidance on ventilation in schools, but we will also work across the public and private sectors to ensure an approach to improved ventilation. And Even though the law will not stipulate physical distancing from Monday, we will continue to advise the public that, especially indoors, keeping a safe distance from people in other households and avoiding crowded places will minimise risk. We will also engage with businesses and issue guidance as necessary to ensure that safe environments for staff and customers are provided and that all reasonable steps are taken to reduce the risk of outbreaks. Planning officer, I can also confirm that we continue to consider very carefully uh, the possible, albeit limited, use of COVID status certification for access to certain higher-risk venues in future. We are currently developing an app to make access to COVID status certificates, which will include vaccination details easier for international travel. Uh, This will be launched next month. The app will have functionality to support the use of such certificates for domestic settings, should we decide that this is appropriate. However, I want to assure Parliament that we do not underestimate the ethical, equity and human rights issues associated with COVID status certification. and We will keep members updated and consulted on our thinking on this issue. The decisions I am confirming today reflect the fact that, principally due to vaccines, we are now in a different stage of this pandemic. Vaccination has weakened the link between case numbers and serious health harms. and That means it is no longer appropriate or necessary, and therefore not necessarily even lawful for us to rely as heavily as we did previously on blanket rules and regulations. That is something that will be welcome for many, but a source of anxiety for some. The Chief Medical Officer will be writing to those who have been at the highest risk from COVID, who might previously have been asked to shield, to provide advice and information, and to give assurance that they too can return to a much greater degree of normality. The needs and concerns of this group will not be ignored now or in the future. I want now to turn to the changes we propose to the current rules on self-isolation to ensure that they remain reasonable and proportionate. Let me be clear at the outset that those who have symptoms of or who test positive for COVID will still be required to self-isolate as now. However, from 9 August, an adult who is identified as a close contact of someone who has tested positive, will no longer be required automatically to self-isolate for 10 days. I want to end by stressing again what all of us can do to help ensure that this next step forward is a sustainable one. The first and most important thing is to get vaccinated. If you have not done so already, particularly if you are in these younger age groups looking forward to resuming a more normal social life, uh, then please do so. You can register on the NHS Inform website. For an appointment or by going to a drop-in centre. Deccan, please test yourself regularly. Three lateral flow tests are available by post through NHS inform or collection from test sites and local pharmacies. If you test positive through one of these uh, or if you have symptoms of the virus, you should still self-isolate and get a PCR test. Third, stick to the rules which remain in place, for example, on face coverings and keep being sensible about the things we know can help us keep ourselves and each other safe. Meet outdoors as much as possible, especially for as long as we have reasonable weather. If you are meeting indoors, open windows, the better ventilated a room is, the safer it will be. Remember that keeping some distance from people in other households and avoiding crowded indoor places, even if no longer legally mandated, these are still sensible precautions. And Continue to wash your hands and surfaces as much as possible. In short, enjoy being able to do more and meet up more. We have all waited a long time for that. But Please protect yourself as you do so, principally through vaccination, and continue to take the greatest of care. If we all do that, we will increase our chances of keeping the virus under control. We will protect ourselves and our loved ones, and we will safely and securely return to the ways of life that we all value so much.
0: Now to the opposition party leaders and we begin with Douglas Ross for the Scottish Conservatives. He believes the public is losing patience with the Scottish Government.
2: The success of Scotland and the UK's vaccination scheme means we can now look to move forward and remove almost all COVID restrictions. In advance of today's statement, my party called for the easing of restrictions to happen as planned. We highlighted the need for rules on social distancing to be removed so that businesses can get back to normal trading. We sought changes to the self-isolation rules for those who have been double vaccinated and a move towards a test-first system instead of a blanket requirement to self-isolate for 10 days. We have argued for some time for changes to self-isolation for children in schools to prevent their learning experience from being disrupted further. For the same reason, We wanted to see the requirement for face masks in schools be removed. We've proposed these steps because the vaccine is working; it is saving lives and limiting the spread of the virus, and that's why I would urge everybody to go out and get it. We're pleased the government have listened to our suggestions. However, overall, today's statement is a mixed bag. It takes some welcome steps in the right direction. But these ongoing restrictions will hold Scotland's recovery back. When Scotland moved to level zero, some people were rightly confused because level zero implies no restrictions, yet many rest- uh, restraints remained in place. We have now moved beyond level zero. Again, people would rightly assume this means that COVID restrictions have been dropped, but still, curbs remain in place. Yet again, the goalposts have been moved. We are beyond level zero, at level minus one or level minus two, and still the government is clinging on to large parts of people's lives. Events still have capacity constraints. The threat of local lockdowns and travel bans remain. The government seems to be U-turning on COVID status certification. Home working is still being enforced, and social distancing is in a very grey area, where the legal restriction is gone, but the guidance remains in force. Clear communication is essential to maintaining public trust and compliance. There is not much clear on many fronts in this statement. People have gone through a lot. They have sacrificed and tolerated severe constraints on their lives. They have done this with impressive dedication because it was necessary, and the public health data supported those decisions. But they are losing patience with these last-minute extensions and limitations on their lives, without full justification or a clear idea of what comes next. So, can I ask the first minister, are you seriously considering, in the future, imposing another local lockdown or introducing a travel ban where people can't leave their local area? And if so, how will that be enforced? When will the limbo on social distancing end, so that all the barriers are removed? And finally, can I ask the first minister, given the scale of Scotland's drug death crisis and the heartbreaking loss of life, even at this late hour? Will she finally step up and lead her government's response this afternoon, First Minister?
1: Uh, on that last point, Angela Constance, the Minister for Drugs Policy, is standing ready to make a statement on uh, Scotland's drugs death statistics uh, as soon as I have finished making this statement. Angela was appointed by me, uh, as all ministers are, uh, and she reports directly to me. Um, and I will continue uh, to make sure that this government uh, addresses that challenge and takes the action uh, necessary. And, and Angela will set out more than that later. Um, listening to Douglas Ross there, I, I was struggling to uh, understand whether or not he would listened uh, to the same statement that I, I, I delivered uh, to the Chamber. I spent every single day uh, since March last year trying to deliver clear communication. I am sure I have not always succeeded. I uh, readily concede that. Uh, sometimes it feels as if Douglas Ross and his colleagues have spent many of these days trying to undermine uh, the clear communication. And I, I got a, a whiff of that again uh, today. So let me try to uh, take them through it again. Um, firstly, Douglas Ross is right. The Tories have called uh, for most of the changes I have announced today. Uh, the difference is they called for these changes to be made at a time when it would not have been safe to do so. It would have put people more at risk. and That is why we have continued to take a safe, uh, cautious and steady pace uh, through our exit from lockdown. Um, I think that is right and proper, and I will continue to do that uh, whatever uh, brickbats uh, I get as a result. Because As First Minister, uh, the fundamental duty I have is to act in a way that keeps the country as safe as I possibly can. Uh, Douglas Ross called it a mixed bag of a statement. I call it sensible and cautious. It will keep people as safe as possible. And frankly, keeping the virus under control, keeping people as safe as possible, is the best thing this government can do for our economic recovery as well. Uh, Most, with the exception of face coverings, um, most of the legal restrictions will be lifted from Monday. That's exactly what we said would happen. I uh, don't know that many people, um, maybe Douglas Ross is one of them, uh, who think that continuing to wear a face covering while this virus uh, continues to circulate is a significant hardship. Most people I speak to, most people who contact me, not everybody obviously, but most people think that is a reasonable price to pay, not so much to keep ourselves safe, but to keep others safe, and therefore hope that others will do likewise to keep us safe. And that is part of the collective solidarity uh, that I think most of us feel um, as we get through this virus. Uh, and others said to me, am I seriously suggesting uh, that in the future, I might impose local restrictions or travel restrictions. Well, let me say this very clearly to Douglas Ross: I fervently hope that will not be necessary. Um, I really, really do. And I know that if we all continue to exercise uh, the care and caution that everybody has exercised uh, for the last year and a half, then we will minimise the risk of that being necessary. But as First Minister and you know, no more so than over this last year and a half. Every single day, um, and I am sure every leader of every government in the world will say this right now, the responsibility weighs heavily on my shoulders to keep people safe. So, In direct answer to the question, if I thought action like that was necessary to restrict and curb an outbreak or spread of this virus or perhaps a new variant of this virus that would put lives at risk, and our National Health Service at risk, then no matter how difficult that would be, no matter how unpopular that might be, I would take that decision because that is what I am elected to do, to take the tough decisions to keep people safe. And if Douglas Ross does not understand that, uh, then perhaps this is not a position uh, he should ever uh, want to be in because you have to be prepared to take those decisions, however much you hope these decisions will not be necessary. So, this has been a cautious, Sometimes too cautious for some people. careful, steady route through this. Monday is a significant, perhaps the most significant date so far, uh, and it is positive. but I will not shy away from saying to people, I'm not going to shout freedom um, in this respect uh, in any event. Um, I'm not going to shout freedom from this virus because I think it misleads people. The virus is circulating, the risk of new variants is there, so it is no longer proportionate to, in every respect, have legal restrictions in place and the government has to act lawfully. But yes, of course, we will continue to advise people uh, to be sensible, to be cautious, to follow uh, routine mitigations that minimise that risk. And anybody who thought, who thinks that is wrong, um, I don't think is acting responsibly. And I will continue to, to try to do my duty as First Minister to the very best of my ability.
0: Scottish Labour leader Anas Sawa welcomes the easing of restrictions. Amid concerns of vaccination rates, he says now is the time to take the vaccine direct to the people.
3: Can I start off by saying thank you to all of those that continue to work on our front line, particularly in our NHS, and to thank our vaccinators across the country who have got us to the point that we've got to today. They genuinely are um, heroes. And I think it's also important to recognise that people are still dying of this virus. And so my thoughts and condolences go out to all those uh, that have lost a loved one in the last 24 hours or at any point throughout this pandemic. As the First Minister has outlined, we are now at a crucial moment in our exit from restrictions, and I want to pay tribute to our citizens across the country for the huge sacrifices they have made over the last year and a half to get us to where we are today. There is definitely the end of the tunnel. However, we're also at a crucial point for Scotland's recovery. It's good to see the positive improvements in the rate of cases and numbers in hospital. That is welcome. And as restrictions continue to ease, we need to ensure that people are being kept safe. That means recognizing that a new period in our fight against the pandemic needs a new approach. And as we move beyond level zero, it is important that we do everything to protect the freedom that people can now enjoy again. It means retooling our vaccination effort to target those places where it lags and preparing it for the next big challenge. The last few weeks have also underlined the importance of test and protect. and of Increased testing is the alternative to self-isolation, then we cannot allow the resourcing of the testing and tracing system to again be neglected. But we all know how key vaccination is. We must maintain the progress and intensity of the programme. In recent weeks, the seven-day rate of vaccinations has reduced, and there are still thousands of young people awaiting their first dose, never mind their second dose. And we should be doing all we can to remove barriers to vaccination and encourage uptake. So, Can I ask the First Minister, what plans there are to make vaccinations more accessible for those in need of a dose. For the hardest to reach, we need to take vaccination centres to the people, not people to the vaccination centres. So, Will we see pop-up clinics at sporting events, universities, colleges, train stations? and When will that commence? In low uptake areas, will she consider looking at door-to-door vaccinations to ensure that we increase uptake in those postcodes? Um, I also want to ask about ongoing support for Scotland's businesses and employers. Um, today's news will be welcome for many businesses, including nightclubs that have been closed now for up to 18 months. But these businesses will not bounce back immediately. So, how will the Scottish government ensure that livelihoods are protected and Scottish businesses can have continued to have confidence in their recovery? Um, there are also new no recommendations for some clinically vulnerable school aged young people to get the vaccine and a booster programme in the autumn. There is also the hope that eligibility will be extended more widely for young people. So what guarantee can the First Minister provide that all eligible twelve to seventeen year olds will receive their first dose before the return to school in less than two weeks? And I think there does seem to be a slip in target outlined today. And what preparation work is now being done if we do get further eligibility for twelve to seventeen year olds? And finally, for booster and flu vaccine, when will individuals most at risk receive details of how the autumn booster programme will run? Uh, the JCVI interim advice suggests that that should start in September. Is that looking like a reality? And will the details be shared uh, with Parliament? Uh, these questions are not just essential for keeping individuals safe, but also protecting our NHS into the winter. After so much restriction, it is only right that we move heaven and earth to protect our re- return to some level of normality. And again, can I thank everyone across our country for the huge sacrifices they have made and they continue to make in the face of this pandemic? First Minister.
1: Uh, thank you. Uh, these are all perfectly uh, reasonable questions. I will try to go through them all. I think I have noted them all down. If I miss any of the points of detail, I will either return to them uh, later or uh, right uh, afterwards. Um, most of them are about vaccination, so I will spend most of uh, my my response on that issue. Um, I think the only thing I would take issue with in Anna Sarwar's uh, questioning is uh, perhaps a, a turn of phrase, which I do not think is is a reasonable one, where uh, all, Some young people were described as still awaiting a first dose. Uh, All over-18s have been offered uh, a first dose. Some have not taken up that offer, uh, but awaiting makes it sound as if they have not been offered it. We are still uh, and will continue to work to get uptake rates as high as possible. Uptake rates are high, um, higher than perhaps I might have Anticipated in the younger age groups, but not as high as we want them to be. Overall, our vaccination programme is going extremely well. Um, I think, in terms of percentage of the total population, we are uh, certainly above England and Northern Ireland on first and possibly now on second doses as well. But all four nations are doing uh, well in this. But our vaccination programme is a success, and I think everybody uh, should recognise that because it is down to the hard work of those that Anna Sarwa rightly pays tribute to. Um, in terms of the first question, will we have more pop-up vaccination uh, clinics or, or, or sites? Yes, is the answer to that. We're looking at all possible ways to uh, access young people where young people are, as opposed to uh, expecting young people to go to clinics. Now we can't get everywhere that young people spend their time. I had a conversation this morning about, uh, and this is just a, a conversation at the moment. It's not necessarily something that will definitely happen. But uh, talking to the nighttime industry. Uh, about as nightclubs open whether there are ways there of using that uh, to extend vaccination to young people. So, you know, sporting uh, sites, places that young people uh, go to regularly, these are all places that we are looking to get promotion of vaccine into and where possible and practical to actually get vaccination uh, to or near as well. Um, I have perhaps more scepticism, although I would never rule anything out, about door-to-door Um, just in terms of uh, the the labour-intensive nature of that, given that the vast majority of eligible people are vaccinated, so you would be uh, going to a lot of effort uh, and going to a lot of doors where everybody was vaccinated. So, I have got a a scepticism about whether that is the best way to to go, uh, but we, of course, uh, don't rule anything out. We want to get uh, to as many people as possible. Uh, On the JCVI uh, points, uh, yes, we are trying to get to eligible uh, 12 to 17-year-olds uh, as far as possible before schools go back. I said, building in um, a, a bit uh, of uh, understandable flexibility there, uh, given the, the nature of this group, that we will uh, certainly be doing offering first doses by the end of August. But we want to do that as quickly um, as possible between now and school return. Of course, not all schools go back on the same day. Some of them uh, go back further into August than others. As I said in my statement, we are hoping to get updated advice from the JCVI over the next day or so. Um, I hope JCVI are our, our uh, advisory body, so they have to give us the advice they think is right, and I respect that. I am hoping it will recommend uh, going further on the vaccination of young people. I am particularly concerned uh, if possible to get vaccination to 16 and 17 year olds which is obviously important for those who will be for example going to college and university and mingling with older uh, young people who are vaccinated but we'll see uh, what that advice brings but we stand ready to implement that as quickly as possible and uh, we wait the final position on booster vaccinations my expectation is that there will be some form of booster programme. We are just assuming that in order to get the preparations underway and would uh, look to notify people uh, as we go through the next few weeks and uh, certainly into September. Uh, and Finally, I think on businesses, the most important thing we can do for businesses is not just get them open again. And As of Monday, there will be no business legally required to close under COVID regulations. Uh, but also to build the confidence of their customers to start using their services again. and That is also one of the reasons why a cautious and uh, careful approach is required, because if people do not feel safe in venues, they will be less likely to go. and We will be working with businesses uh, to encourage businesses to think very carefully about the environment that they are offering for uh, their customers as well. Uh, we will continue to consider financial support for as long as necessary, but of course uh, we want to get businesses trading and making uh, money again, because we don't have uh, infinite sums of money to uh, spend on business support. Uh, and the last thing I would again encourage the UK government to do is extend furlough uh, for longer, so that we are not cutting that support to businesses uh, earlier than is I think appropriate for many.
0: We return to the Chamber where the First Minister has made the latest announcement on COVID. Most restrictions are lifted come Monday. Here's Presiding Officer Alison Johnston.
4: Thank you. I call Patrick Harvey. Thank you, Presiding Officer. The the First Minister, uh, as well as Douglas Ross and Anna Sarwar, have all recognised the importance of the vaccination programme. Everybody, I think, recognises that the people who developed it and delivered it are due our immense gratitude. It has saved lives and is continuing to do so, but I think it is also recognised that vaccination is not a cure-all. It does not eliminate all risk. It does not prevent everybody uh, from being exposed to this virus or from the risk of becoming extremely seriously ill uh, or having their life put at risk. So, I am concerned that there is still a great deal of emphasis on this idea of COVID status certificates, so-called uh, vaccine passports, particularly as the First Minister refers to them in relation to higher risk venues. It raises human rights implications if our ability to, to live our lives is dependent on our health status. It raises inequality issues if the workers in those higher-risk venues are not themselves fully protected. And ultimately, can the First Minister agree? Is it not the case that only direct mitigation measures to make those higher risk venues less risky is actually going to give us the protection that we need? Data certificates will not achieve that. First Minister.
1: Again, I think these are perfectly reasonable questions and I have got a lot of sympathy with all of them. Firstly, Patrick Harvey is right to say that vaccines, although hugely effective and uh, the programme is, is hugely successful. Do not eliminate all risk and all harm from the virus, and we have never said uh, that vaccination does that. What we do know, and I think we now have uh, lots of evidence of this, is that they significantly weaken the link between somebody getting COVID and becoming seriously ill from COVID. Don't eliminate that risk, particularly if somebody might have other underlying health conditions, but they have weakened that, and we can see that um, in the. Uh, still concerning but much lower uh, level of hospital cases in this wave than we have had in previous waves. Uh, there is less certainty about the impact on transmission uh, of the virus, uh, but we hope it has a positive effect there. Uh, vaccination I do not think we can overstate the importance of vaccination and where we are now and where we hope to continue in the future, uh, but we have to, as we have to be realistic and uh, frank about all of these things, we have to recognise the limitations as well as celebrate the enormous success. Um, uh, Patrick Harvey said, I put a lot of emphasis on COVID status uh, certification. If that is how it sounded, I I want to try to redress that. I was not seeking to emphasise it or somehow uh, pull it out as being the big next thing that we are definitely going to do. Um, I wanted to be frank with Parliament that we are keeping our options open so in the app we're developing uh, I think it's important to be frank uh, with parliament that there will be functionality that we are not immediately planning to use but there will be functionality that we could use in future if we decided to do this for domestic certification because the principal objective of the app is to make access to certificates easier for international travel that does not mean we have taken any decisions I am highly cautious about COVID passports, to give them the colloquial term. For all the reasons that Patrick Harvey has set out, I would be fundamentally opposed, um, passionately and fundamentally opposed to their use for access to public services or anything that was seen as something essential for people to access. Um, I do not think they are a replacement for sensible mitigations, and I agree with that point. But, I think there is a debate to be had about whether in some venues that are optional in terms of people's attendance at them, and where we know there is a higher risk of transmission, that we at least think about whether they could play some part in making these uh, settings safer uh, than they might otherwise be. There would have to be uh, agreed exemptions in place because there are people, as we know, who, who cannot get vaccinated. So, I am simply not ruling this out because I do not think it would be responsible to do it. Uh, but I think people can hear, if they did not hear it in my original statement, I think they can hear it now. I am far from convinced uh, that it is a road we should go down. But I do not want to close off Parliament's options, the government's options or the country's options. But I do give an undertaking that we will continue not just to update Parliament, but to consult and involve Parliament as our thinking on this, or if our thinking on this develops to the point where we were proposing the introduction of uh, COVID certification for any particular setting.
5: I call Liam MacArthur to be followed by Alistair Allen.
2: Thank you, President Officer. Only a few short weeks ago Scotland had record numbers of daily cases, amongst the highest in Europe, and testing for was buckling under the pressure. Thankfully the figures are now going in the right direction, but as we look ahead to winter, it's a chastening reminder that systems must be built and staffed to withstand whatever the virus throws at them. Like others, I also pay tribute to all those involved in the vaccine programme. But like Patrick Harvey, I'm concerned that the government is still humming and hawing about domestic vaccine passports a full nine months after we first pressed them for a decision. Last week, John Swinney said it would be the wrong way to handle it. Now there will be an app for our phones, paving the way for vaccine passports by stealth. So why, given what the first minister's just said, won't the government rule out? domestic vaccine passports. Prime Minister
1: we're not planning anything by stealth. I've stood here today in front of parliament and been frank about the options that we are leaving open um, and given an undertaking to parliament that will be full and upfront and consult parliament um, in any decision. So you know I'm sorry that is not doing something by stealth. It's actually quite the opposite of that. Before I come back to vaccine passports because you know it is important and I I, as I said to Patrick Harvey, and as I've said before, I am far from convinced that they are the right thing to do, but I'll explain in a moment why we're not simply ruling them out uh, for every uh, possibility at this stage. But before I do that, just there was a first part of the question about test and protect. Test and protect, as it will always do when cases are surging, came under pressure in uh, July. It did not buckle under that pressure. It adapted and coped with that pressure um, and is Performing well, and I want to thank everybody in Test and Protect. The work they have done has played a part in getting us to the point from the point where we did have some of the highest case rates, uh, or even at one point the highest case rate in Europe, to a point where we've got a much lower case rate, and uh, we're certainly uh, there or thereabouts. I think Wales might still just be below us, but we've got uh, the the second lowest, maybe heading towards the lowest case rate uh, in the UK. Um, these trends come and go, um, and it is what you do to try to stop cases surging, but when they do surge, to get them under control that matters, and people working across our public health teams have done an excellent job in the last few weeks to get us into the much stronger position we are in today, as indeed has the public. Um, finally, presenting officer, why don't I just rule out uh, vaccine passports? Um, I won't repeat everything I have said about my scepticism and healthy degree of caution about them, because. People have heard me say it. But if there's one thing I have learned, and I like to think I've learned more than one thing over these past uh, grim, challenging, difficult 18 months for everybody, is that in the face of an infectious virus that keeps learning to run faster than us, uh, that keeps changing itself to make the challenge ever more difficult, uh, after 18 months of having to ask people to live their lives in the most restricted and unnatural uh, manner imaginable. I don't think it's sensible just to rule things out uh, for uh, for ideological or, or other reasons. I think you've got a duty, and I've got a duty to properly consider every possible step we could take to get our lives back to normal and to keep them normal while protecting people from the virus. Does that mean we will do every possible step? Take every possible step? No. There will be uh, things that we do decide are not right to do in vaccine passports. And in total or in part, maybe one of those. But I do not think it is responsible, in the face of everything we have lived through and in the face of what we are still having to deal with, to just blithely, as a politician, rule these things out. So I will continue to keep an open mind to anything that keeps this country safe while also allowing it to get back to normal.
2: I call Alistair
5: Allen to be
3: followed by Myrtle Fraser. Presiding officer of the Cut to Calmax passengers carrying capacity to 35 per cent, while it was obviously done for understandable health reasons, has very seriously impacted every aspect of island life since ferry routes came under pressure at the beginning of the tourist season. Can the First Minister confirm whether passenger capacity will now be returning to something more like normality as a result of today's statement? And also, As the First Minister will be aware, visitors tend to book ferry tickets far in advance, while islanders travelling to see family, care for sick relatives, or just get to work tend to need to book at much shorter notice, meaning they are at present simply unable to compete for spaces on ferries. What can be done to ensure islanders now have more equitable access to ferry bookings? First Minister.
1: Okay, I thank Alistair um for that question, and I know uh, the sentiments behind it uh, will be felt very strongly by uh, other members representing island communities. Physical distancing has restricted capacity on ferries, and that has resulted in significant problems for people travelling to and from the islands. And While that is frustrating for anybody wanting to travel to or from our islands, it is particularly difficult and has been horrendously difficult for those who live on our islands. Um, and I understand that and want to thank people for uh, the forbearance that they have shown. Um, in light of today's announcement, though, uh, around physical distancing, operators will be able to make more foot passenger capacity available from Monday. Uh, and That will ease some of the problems that Alistair Allen is talking about. There will continue to be a slightly reduced number of timetabled sailings on some routes due to the continued need for enhanced cleaning regimes. because Obviously, it remains important on our ferries, like in uh, other settings, that we keep the environment as safe as possible. Regarding uh, the essential travel needs of islanders, um, I can confirm that uh, some capacity is being held back for turn-up-and-go travel, uh, and in addition, islanders are also guaranteed a space on the ferry and indeed a taxi for urgent medical appointments. So this has been difficult. I hope today's announcement, uh, operational from Monday, will lead to a significant easing of the challenges that islanders have faced.
4: Thank you. I call Margot Fraser. Thank you. Uh, presiding
3: officer. Um, I would like to ask the First Minister more about vaccines for young people, which she alluded to earlier. There are many uh, 17-year-olds, shortly to turn 18, who will be leaving home for the first time to take up a university place within the next few weeks, who would welcome the reassurance of a vaccination that is not currently being offered to them. Given that time is very short for this group, how quickly can the Scottish Government make a decision On offering them a vaccination.
6: First Minister.
1: Well, as Myrtle Fraser uh, knows or or certainly should know, we are waiting on JCVI advice. I say we, I'm obviously referring to the Scottish Government, but the UK Government, the Welsh Government, the Northern Irish Government are in the same position. Um, I think I indicated from the platform behind me last week in a press briefing that uh, the four CMOs had asked the JCVI to look again at uh, their advice on vaccination for young people. I know uh, our own chief medical officer has also written uh, to the JCVI. Um, I am hoping um possibly veering towards expecting um, updated advice from the JCVI literally in the next day or so. Um, and I very much hope that that expectation will prove to be the case. I am hoping, but this is for the JCVI to advise, that they will recommend uh, further vaccination of people in the 12 to 17-year-old age group. Um, I, Assuming it is safe and the risk benefit analysis bears this out, I would like to see us in the fullness of time be able to offer vaccination. Obviously, informed consent would determine uptake, but offer vaccination to all people in that age group. But I am particularly hopeful that we will see some updated recommendations in relation uh, as a priority, as a first uh, part of this uh, for 16- and 17-year-olds. I am as anxious as anybody to get this. I mean, you can probably hear that in my voice. I'm as anxious as anybody, perhaps more than uh, many, to get this updated advice as quickly as possible, and I'm anxious uh, to see uh, whether it Advises what I'm hoping it does, and I will advise. Part uh, I'm sure the JCVI will make its advice known in the way it chooses, um, but I will set out uh, as soon as possible, depending on what that advice turns out to be, the steps that the government will take to implement it as soon as possible.
6: I call Jackie Bailey. I want to ask the first minister about long COVID clinics. I know the Scottish government has funded research into long COVID, and a recent report from both Stirling and Robert Gordon universities recommended specialist and integrated services to deal with long COVID. England have spent 34 million on 80 specialist clinics, with another 23 planned. Wales has spent 5 million on specialist clinic clinical pathways. That's not matched in Scotland, and there is as many as 110,000 people. Suffering from long COVID, including children, and they are simply not getting the support and treatment they desperately need. So, can I ask the First Minister, when will the Scottish Government Act provide dedicated support and treatment for people who suffer from long COVID? And will she or the Cabinet Secretary for Health agree to meet with representatives of Long COVID Scotland? First Minister.
1: I'm sure the Cabinet Secretary will be happy uh, to meet uh, most anyone who wants to discuss these issues. I understand uh, that he has recently met uh, with uh, one of uh, our MSP colleagues uh, from the Conservative benches to discuss uh, these issues. Um, Can I uh, say we are committing significant sums of money to understanding long COVID so that we? can, as quickly as possible, make sure that the right resources are in place. I will come on to specialist clinics in a moment, but we should not lose sight of the fact that for many people suffering from long COVID, it is access to generalist services, GP and, and other uh, services uh, that they will first uh, want to make sure that they can have. And We want people to be treated uh, for any health conditions as accessibly and as close to home as possible. Um, Jackie Bailey said the UK government have dedicated 34 million pounds to long COVID specialist clinics. Um, I I don't knock any money that's spent on these things, and and the Scottish government certainly will uh, dedicate resource to appropriate specialist clinics um, in the the, the coming period. Um, But I simply ask people to to, to take a a step back and and analyse that Uh, 34 million pounds in an English context is about three million pounds for Scotland. You're not genuinely going to get many real clinics for that amount of money. So I, I would question, you know, to the, the extent to which some of uh, the, the headlines we hear um, are matched by the, the reality of provision. I think it's important that we do make sure we've got the right specialist provision in place, but we build that on the basis of the best understanding. Our understanding will obviously develop as our research develops, but we build that from an evidential base and that we do it properly, um, rather than me saying, here is £3 million, knowing that that is not going to deliver a lot of you know, specialist clinics. We need proper investment and we need proper uh, development of the understanding that will make sure that uh, specialist provision does what we require it to do. <laughs>
0: You're listening to the Week in Holyrood Summer Special. I'm Charles Fletcher. Scotland is the worst country in Europe for drug-related deaths. The latest national figures have reached 1,339 people. That's a record for the seventh year in a row. Scotland's Drugs Minister Angela Constance is pledging to make tackling drugs deaths a priority. She describes the latest figures as a national shame.
5: The loss of life in Scotland from drug-related deaths is as heartbreaking as it is unacceptable. It is our national shame. and I offer my condolences to all those who have lost a loved one and my continuing commitment to do everything possible in our new national mission to turn the tide on rising drug-related deaths. On Friday, I attended a vigil in Glasgow, I talked to and heard from many people who have been directly affected by drug deaths, the very people who have been let down. Now more than ever, we need to make sure the experience of those living with problematic drug use are at the very heart of solutions going forward. That's why we're investing in local experience panels and a national collaborative of those with lived and living experience. We know drug deaths are preventable and avoidable. The publication of the 2020 Drug Death Report on Friday was another stark reminder that the poorest communities suffer the most. That is why our national mission to save lives is linked to other work across this government to improve lives and mental health, to address poverty and inequality, to prevent adverse childhood experiences, to build resilience through education and prevention and to bring a public health approach to our justice system. The 2020 annual report for the first time was the terrible scale of inequality between our most and least deprived communities. The power of this analysis underlines the need for better information about the problems people face, and we are making progress on this. Public Health Scotland is using a groundbreaking programme of data linkage, which will help identify where actions are most needed. The report shows wide geographic variation in drug deaths. Areas such as Glasgow, Dundee and Inverclyde are the worst affected. However, even the least affected areas in Scotland still have a greater problem in comparison to anywhere else in England. The creation of a national care service will be the biggest reform in health and care since the creation of a national health service in 1948. Ministers have agreed to consult on the remit of the national care service and whether to include alcohol and drug services in the systematic changes to the way in which people access services. In particular, we are asking for the residential rehabilitation should be commissioned on a national basis. The consultation, which opens next week, is an opportunity to consider how we can better support Scotland's most vulnerable and marginalised people, and we are committed to listening to the feedback, including those in the alcohol and drug sector. No one should underestimate the scale of the challenge we face. I certainly do not. We have made progress with other preventable deaths from alcohol, violence some cancers, and so change is possible. But change will not always be comfortable, and I make no apologies for that. But through these changes and the actions I am setting out today, we can improve and save lives as part of the national mission by getting more people into the protection of treatment and recovery. and This will help reduce drug deaths in Scotland. Presiding officer, we have had the humility to accept what has been wrong, and, going forward, we will have the courage to do what is right.
0: You're listening to The Week in Hollywood Summer Special. I'm Charles Fletcher. The Health Secretary, Hamza Youssef, has reported a nursery to care watchdogs over his worries it's discriminated against his daughter. The Glasgow Pollock MSP says he was told there was no availability when his wife applied for a space for their two-year-old daughter. He says applications submitted by friends and family for white Scottish-sounding names were accepted. Actually, first and foremost, I would like an explanation. And I haven't had that. I just want to know
3: why three applicants with Muslim and ethnic minority-sounding names were rejected and white Scottish names, three applicants, were accepted. I just, I want an explanation. And if you don't have an explanation, you should be apologising for discrimination. That's what actually I want. And more than that, I want to protect my girls from discrimination. And actually, I'm, I'm gutted if you asked how, how we felt, as well as being angry. It's gutting that I can't protect my daughter in the first two years of her life from discrimination. Um, And she's going to face that right through her whole life. So yes, I will pursue this and we will pursue this together because we want others not to have to face the discrimination that I think my daughter has
0: faced. The nursery is denying allegations of discrimination, saying it would absolutely welcome a care inspectorate investigation and that it has nothing to hide. Before we go, the Prime Minister has been in Scotland this week. He had low-profile appearances and spoke to what we call a media pool. That's one journalist who covers the trip for us all. Boris Johnson was asked why he snubbed the opportunity to meet with First Minister Nicola Sturgeon during his visit.
2: You've declined an offer to meet the first minister, but you have made time. No, I to...
0: haven't. I'm always <laughs> delighted. Uh, always, always, always delighted. I and mean, look, we look—we seriously—we work together. Uh, the 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 government of the UK, uh, the Scottish government, uh, at all levels, work together uh, on the things that matter to the people of our country. Particularly, uh, rolling out uh, vaccinations uh, and and generally making sure that we bounce back uh, and build back better from from the pandemic. Well Nicola Sturgeon is more dismayed than disappointed at the missed opportunity to sit down together and discuss COVID recovery.
1: I don't feel snubbed. I, I think most people will think it's a bit odd <laughs> and a bit strange that we've got a Prime Minister visiting Scotland who talks a lot, rightly, about the need, despite our political differences, for us to work together where we can on getting through COVID and into COVID recovery, but doesn't take the opportunity when in Scotland to come and talk to me directly about how we might cooperate and work together. Um, I think people will just find that strange and it's for Boris Johnson to uh, explain I suppose why if, You know, this, this would have been the first opportunity given Covid for us to sit down appropriately, socially distance and have a face to face chat and I think it would have been a good opportunity. I was uh, getting ready to welcome him to Butte House today. You know, there's lots uh, that Boris Johnson and I fundamentally disagree on but we both lead governments that are trying to get our countries through Covid and so there's a lot for us to cooperate on. Um, So you know missed opportunity but that's on him. I stand ready to work with whoever however I can to get Scotland through Covid and into recovery.
0: And that's the Week in Holyrood Summer Special. I'm Charles Fletcher